We are looking at the sin of anger. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. So we're doing a series of case studies on sin and the way that Satan tries to attack you. So coming out of our sermon series on Ephesians, we looked at uh, Paul's call to stand against the wiles of the devil and put on the whole armor of God so that you can fight his schemes. And we're doing a series of case studies looking at his primary schemes that he uses, the primary tools in his tool bag that he uses to try and to destroy you. And so to, to organize that theme, we're looking at the seven deadly sins. And the seven deadly sins are a basic way of categorizing seven fundamental strategies that Satan has that if he can strike, if he can get these in you, and then over time and circumstance, if he can, if he can pour fuel on them, they'll eventually lead to your own breakdown and your own destruction. And uh, we're going to be in Genesis uh, chapter 4, looking at the case of Cain and the way anger takes him and brings destruction on him and his family. And uh, this is all Gray's fault. Gray started because he did the first one on greed and played the Queen song, I Want It All. And I thought, what, what would the soundtrack of the seven deadly sins sound like? Like, can you find songs that embody all of them? And actually, it's turned out not to be hard at all to find songs that embody all of them. And so thinking about anger, what was interesting to me is I couldn't find just one song that kind of encapsulated and embodied anger because there's so many. Like there's artists who every song, their whole career is built on songs that are angry, like Eminem. And then there's whole genres that the entire genre of music is nothing but anger. So like if you grew up, like if you were a, uh, a teenager, a kid in the 90s when like grunge rock was coming, and then like Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, all this, just angry. And I had no idea until this week started looking into metal. You know, I thought like, there's like metal music. Now I'd heard of heavy metal, but I didn't know there's also black metal and death metal. I mean, you have all these different kinds of metal music that's just anger, just fuels it. And then you almost think like not just multiple genres of anger, like there's generational songs that embody like generational anger. So you can think of like the 1960s and 70s, all the like war protest songs. So like, it ain't me, it ain't me, I ain't no senator's son. It ain't me, it ain't me, I ain't no fortunate son. I'm not one that's a fortunate one. I have to go to war. I'm not one of the privilege, the chosen. So you have these like genres or generations of angry songs. There's a whole nother like genre for every generation and every type of music of angry breakup songs. <laughs> so you can think of like, you think, all right, who's the, you know, the music star who's probably, you know, comes across as the most um, like joyful and kind of uh, um, just joy, like I think of like Carrie Underwood. Like, I think, like, if Cynthia was a celebrity, she'd be, like, Carrie Underwood, just kind of bubbly and happy. And, like, what's her most popular song? I dug my keys into the side of his pretty little souped-up four-wheel drive, carved my name into his leather seats. You go talk... Oh, sorry, I skipped on Taylor Swift, still on that one. I took a Louisville slugger. To both headlights, I slashed a hole in all four tires. Maybe next time he'll think before he cheats. I mean, sweet little Carrie. 
That's angry. <laughs> and then like Taylor Swift, she has a whole a host of songs. Now, this is not one I wasn't familiar with till this week, and this is songwriting at its best. Um, <laughs> we are never, ever, ever getting back together. We are never, ever getting back together. You go talk to your friends, talk to my friends, talk to me. We are never, ever, ever getting back together like ever. <laughs> if you're thinking about career change, maybe songwriter. <laughs> but I think, so the classic breakup song in my mind takes me back to Alanis. And I'm here to remind you of the mess you left when you went away. It's not fair of the cross to deny me of the cross I bear that you gave to me. You, you, you ought to know what you've done to me. And then there's songs that are just angry, like not at individuals, just at the world. So you have like, uh, you may not be familiar with Limp Bizkit. but it's just one of those days you want to break stuff. Or a classic like college frat song, I tried so hard and got so far, but in the end, it doesn't even matter. I had to fall and lose it all, but in the end, it doesn't even matter. It's like a modern rendition of Ecclesiastes. Vanity, vanity, doesn't matter. Nothing you do in this life, the whole world just stinks, and nothing you do even matters. So it's like anger, anger at the government, anger at boyfriends, anger at girlfriends, anger at the world. It's like you listen to every genre of music, there's just anger, anger everywhere. And then you think, all right, well, maybe it's just, you know, Nashville or in the, in the songwriting. There was a Somewhat terrifying article in January's Atlantic by Charles Duhigg called The Real Roots of American Rage. And he talks about how uh, the, at the fundamental core of our political discourse is rage. And he shows how whether you listen to Rachel Maddow or Sean Hannity, both have the same basic playbook of elevating some. There's this injustice. There's this problem in the world, and I'm mad about it. And you should be too. And then you can get a big audience and sell, make a lot of money. So you think, all right, we live in a world where on the airways is anger in politics. There's anger. But surely, I mean, we live, in, we live in Lake Nona, Orlando. This is city beautiful. Surely there's not anger around us. So let's imagine you peel back the curtain and go over to the YMCA for the YMCA. It's Saturday morning soccer at the YMCA. Could anything be more joyful and more cute than the four-year-olds running around not even knowing which way to kick the ball and just wanting to you know, eat goldfish and drink juice? Can anything be cuter? But then just before, can you imagine a husband gets woken up by a text? Hey, where are you at? Did you not set the alarm? What? Oh no, we're late. Up, get up. Where are the socks? You don't have any clean socks. Why don't you have any clean socks? Where are your shoes? Put your shoes on. It's our day for snacks. Where are the goldfish? You ate all the goldfish? How do you eat all the goldfish? What are we going to do? And that's just a four-year-old field. Now you go over to the middle school girl field, and what do you see? 
You see dad ranting and raving, screaming at everyone. You see the coach hollering at one of the kids like a blood vessel's about to burst on his forehead. You look at the mother and she's like, how dare he told my child that way? I don't know who he thinks he is. You got somebody else hollering at the ref. You got grandpa who's over at the concession stand wanting peanuts. They don't have any peanuts. Why don't you have any peanuts? What kind of place is this? How am I going to survive this game with no peanuts? And then the teenager who's just sitting there like, will you leave me alone so I can text? And then... You're in the sea of simmering, low-level irritation, frustration, anger, anger, anger everywhere. And then can you imagine a scene maybe happened in this neighborhood last night where a storm's been long brewing between 17-year-old son and father. And he tells him, you better be home tonight by midnight. And the son thinks, who do you think you are to tell me? what to do. I'll show him. He doesn't have anywhere to go, but he intentionally waits, waits. Father sits in the living room waiting, waiting, watching the clock, and then he sees the lights pull up. He starts to fume. Then the explosion happens. He screams. He screams, disrespectful, disobedient. Who do you think you are? You ruined my life. What have you ever done for me? I hate you. You're grounded. And then the father fumes, the mother cries, and the son sees, and the devil laughs. And he laughs and says, you people are so easy. You're so easy. The smallest little things can just set you off. Anger, it's everywhere. Hair triggers everywhere. Alienation and conflict between people who should love one another. Our inability to get past the past. Our destructive and hurtful feelings. Hostility playing out just underneath the facade of smiles. You know, one of the things about anger is, you know, there's this empowering sense that grievance can generate. And then anger can flare up too quickly, alienate too many, and burn too long. And it can cause so much pain because it hides so well. And if we're honest, it can feel so good. It can be one of those addictive things that we become addicted to. And if we're going to understand what anger is and how we can defeat it, we have to go back to the beginning. We have to go back to the very beginning, and this story of Cain and Abel, it's so fascinating that from Genesis 4 to Genesis 11, what Moses is going to do is he's going to walk you through how once sin entered into the world, death came, and it spread throughout the entire world so much that even a great flood couldn't wash it clean. And so by Genesis 11, all the nations on the earth are dispersed, spread, and then there's anger everywhere. You think, how did this happen? Where did it start? And what he's going to do is he's going to take you to a story that's fueled with anger, envy, and eventually murder between two brothers. All of the destruction that happens socially can be boiled down to begin with relational combat. So let's pick up the story in verse 1. Adam knew his wife Eve, and she, bore, she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry 
and his face was downcast. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. And its desire is to to take you, to have you, to conquer you. But you have to rule it. You have to master it. You have to overcome it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out in the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and he killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crop for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the whole earth. So here we see kind of the breakdown of all of creation begins. The front line of the battle is between two brothers at home. And this is where it starts. And it's one of the scariest realities that, you know, most abuse, most violence is domestic. That is the front line. But what's interesting, this is a fascinating story. We're just going to key in on a couple verses, but there's this whole, you know, the breakdown begins with worship. So uh, Cain's worship is not acceptable. Then it, it fuels the selfish envy, which brings anger. And then murder. But there's this key line where the Lord says, why are you angry? Why are you angry? And then he tells it, look, anger is like this, you know, sin is like a, a tiger just outside your door, just waiting for the opportunity to pounce. It wants to pounce on you and you have to, um, you have to master it. You can actually control this. And so if we're going to ever get any victory over anger in our life, we have to do two things. We have to understand it and then we have to overcome it. So that's what we're going to look at. How do we understand it and then overcome it? So first, just think about that line, why are you angry? Why does God ask him that? You know, one of the fascinating things is read through Genesis, you know, one, you know, the, the whole book of Genesis, you could read through and just look, how does God interact with people? And what's so fascinating is how often he asks them questions. Like, Adam, where are you? You know, God's not asking because he doesn't know. It's not like, hey, Adam, where are you? He's, he knows. He wants them to pause and then to examine their own heart. Why are you angry? Do you have good reason? So if you're going to understand it, you've got to understand what anger is. And all of these sins, the way sin works is Satan will latch on to something good, then twist it and turn it against you. So in one sense, anger is not necessarily something bad. So let's think about this for a second. All right, well, what is anger? Because um, it's a sin. Here's the challenge for us. It's a sin never to get angry, and it's a sin to get angry at the wrong things. So when we think about anger, we need wisdom. Ephesians 4, 26 says, be angry, but do not sin. So how can we do that? What is anger? David Pallison is a counselor at um, uh, Biblical Counselors, written a lot of great things on anger. And he says, all right, when you think about it, right, what is anger? Anger is active. Here's his definition. Active displeasure towards something that's important enough to care about. So it's active displeasure towards something that you actually care about. So there's kind of stages. There's some type of perceived wrong. So something is wrong. Something's not right with the way things should be. There's a state of disapproval. This shouldn't be this way. And then there's some type of motive to act. So every act of anger is actually an act of judgment. You're rendering judgment on someone or something or some situation. 
Every, every act of anger, every impulse of anger is an act of judgment. And really, anger is love motivated to deal with a threat. So there's something you love is threatened, and then you're motivated to deal with that. So in one sense, anger is a very good thing. You know, it's appropriate. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger. So there are certain things that we should be angry about. But here's the challenge, because anger is one of those emotions that it's really, I mean, it's like dynamite. It's soul dynamite. I mean, dynamite can be a very helpful thing if you're like, you know, trying to build a road or something. But you play around with it in your house, it can be destructive. And so it's soul dynamite because it can just pulverize things. And think about anger's effects on you. So isn't it amazing? And some of you med students can tell us about the physiology of anger. Like once anger gets into you and it creates you, you become all tense and it can cause heart disease and stress and all kinds of just physiological problems. But then think about all of the kind of relational or behavioral or the decision-making problems that anger can, can cause in your life. I mean, you want a surefire strategy to make terrible decisions? Always make a decision when you're angry because it clouds us. We can't see very well. But if we're honest, one of the things about anger is addictive. It's one of those emotions that we can live on and it can fuel us. And, uh, but not only is it addictive, but it hides. It's like all of the political discourse. They say, well, I'm not angry. I'm just a warrior for truth. And so it can hide. I'm standing up for the little guy. I'm just telling it like it is. So it can be something that can be destructive. It can be addictive. It can hide. But notice what the Lord says to Cain. He says, its desire is to take you. It wants to grip you. And so just think about a couple different ways. Here's, I've just put down six different ways that anger wants to hijack your heart and take you. And one is actually, as you read through this, make a mental note in your mind. Maybe star the one that you're most prone to. So one example is just irritability. Irritability is like anger on, uh, it's low simmering anger. Where uh, you just become someone who's easily set off. Or kind of always grumpy. Or always grouchy. Just irritable. That's anger on low simmer. Think about bitterness. Bitterness is really the opposite of patience. I love the Bible's word for patience. You know, the King James word for patience is long-suffering. The ability to be able to suffer long and endure. But bitterness is the opposite of that. It's, uh, it's not long-suffering. It's long-seething. We're just going to seethe. And you let the, the resentment just seethe and simmer and you marinate it. And what you do in bitterness, you recycle old hurts. You nurse them. You never get over them. And it can corrode your soul. You know, I grew up as a huge Michael Jordan fan. Had pictures of him all over my room. Wanted to be him. And uh, one of the saddest things I ever saw was his Hall of Fame induction speech. Because it was just this one long bitter parade of all the people who doubted him. My 10th grade JV coach, so coach so-and-so, you doubted me. And it was so sad to see the way the bitterness has eaten up a soul. So that's one thing anger wants to do. Another is just violence, where just anger becomes just destructive, where it seeks to hurt, destroy. And what you can see in Cain's story, the ultimate end is where it kills 
It destroys. But violence isn't just physical. There's emotional where you're actually finding pleasure in another person's pain. And so violence. And then there's a passive form of anger that kind of hides behind the surface of appearances. So maybe you folks from the South, you know all about this. Where you smile and look at someone and say, oh, bless their heart. And in your heart, you're thinking something very uh, bitter and vile about them. So it hides behind the veneer of politeness. That actually might be one of the most dangerous forms because you actually have fooled yourself into thinking you're kind when you're not. And then you have self-righteous anger that just enjoys the empowering feeling of I've been victimized and so I'm going to fight. And it just fuels all of these things. Which one are you prone to? You look, anger, anger, it's everywhere. We're, we're swimming in just a, a, a cesspool of anger. So how do we get out of it? How do we overcome it? You know, what, how do you deal with it? You know, there's a couple different ways you can try. You know, one strategy is you try and suppress it. So you constantly keep it bottled down and you push it down and then eventually something happens and you just blow. Or another strategy that's really popular nowadays and we... <laughs> we didn't notice this until, and I don't know how many of you are faithful Daniel Tiger watcher, watchers, but we are in the stage where uh, things like Daniel Tiger and Curious George are often on. And we start noticing, like, one of our girls, she'd get upset and she starts stomping. And we're like, no, 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 no. What are you doing? No, that is not an appropriate expression. Uh-uh. And then we're sitting there kind of passively, listen, and Daniel Tiger is singing this song. When you get really mad, stomp three times. And no, no that's not how we respond. So we uh, this, just express it. So just let it go. If you, if you feel it and don't express it, you're not living your authentic self. Well, that's not Christianity either. And then another strategy that we have in our world is just you, anger is something that has to be managed. So you have anger management. All right, now, okay, any of those things, it might be helpful. But what does the Bible say? All right, how do we really conquer this? Because notice what God tells Cain. He says, it wants to take you, but you have to rule it. You have to overcome it. You actually, you don't just manage it or express it or suppress it. You can rule it. You can take charge of it. So how can that happen? Here's a couple of different ways you got to do if you're going to overcome it. I mean, the first thing you got to do is you have to admit it. You know, and if you ever had an experience where, you, you know, you ask someone, you know, what's the matter? Nothing. Nothing's the matter. Why do you think anything's the matter? Hmm? Just, just a guess. You know, you have to admit it because when, when you actually refuse to admit that you're actually angry, that's, a, that's actually going back to last week's sin. It's a form of stoop to your level to inform you why I'm angry. Even to admit that you're angry is an act of humility. It takes humility to admit. It's an act of weakness. It's an act of vulnerability where you say, yes, I, I, I am angry, but right, why? And then that leads to the second thing is you got to analyze it. You know, in one sense, anger is like an emotional light for the dashboard of your heart. And you want to become wise heart mechanic for your own soul. You don't want to, so like, we have lights at this moment that are flashing in my car. It's like, check engine. So I walk around and lift up the hood. <laughs> Looks good to me. I, I have no idea what I'm even looking at. Not helpful. 
So anger is like the check engine light in your soul. And you want to say, all right, let me <laughs> not be foolish and decide all right, what's happening here. And that's why God pauses. He said, Cain, why are you angry? You have to learn to analyze it. Why are you angry? So if anger is love motivated to deal with a threat, what has been threatened? What are you actually angry about? Because it could be something worthy, righteous anger, or it could be something unworthy. What are you defending? And I think if we're honest, so often the thing we're defending is our own ego, so just think about just in like the little things that cause you to get angry. You can't find your glasses. You stub your toe on the dresser. You know, why are these little small things, uh, why can they cause us, uh, or why, why do we have such a hard time dealing with such trivial things? What are we getting angry about? Or maybe, uh, this is totally hypothetical, but can just imagine. So you can use your imagination to imagine a scene like this. Um, there's a dad in Walmart, and he's got multiple little children. And like one of the kids sees this pink glitter-covered waste of money, and then their eyes just get big. Like, oh, can I have that? Can I have that hairy, cheap uh, bug? And they just want it. And uh, you say, no, <laughs> why in the world would we waste money on such a, such a thing? And then they, um, they get upset. And let their displeasure be known to all. And at that moment, the father's blood pressure rises. Anger starts to stir. God might say, all right, why are you angry? Its desire is to take you. What's motivating the anger? Are you really motivated because they're uh, expressing character traits of covetousness that if it goes unchecked, will destroy them? Or are you angry because you're being embarrassed right now? What are you defending? And that's the question. Yeah, analyze it. What are you defending? You know, I think if we're honest, so often, if we answer the question, why are you angry? We're angry because the fundamental drive of our hearts is, my will be done. How dare anyone cross my will? My will be done. But if we're going to transform anger, if we're going to overcome it, we have to turn our attention away from our own hearts that demand my will be done to look at the one who said, not my will, but thy will be done. When we were at Alabama, you know, you'd go to, just part of the pastoral job is you'd go to all the, you know, social events and different things. And the first year we were there, you know, the little town graduation and uh, high school graduation. It was, a, it was a big event in the community. And uh, we had two little babies. And so the whole family didn't go. And I just went and sat, kind of sat down. It was kind of outsider, you know, in towns like that. You have to live there for um, six generations to kind of be oh, one of them. And uh, so we had no hope. And... Uh, so I just went to the graduation, didn't really know me and the kids, and sat down, and there was a, um, uh, a young girl, probably, yeah, I was about 35 at the time, she wasn't much older than me, and she sat down, and we were both kind of, we were outsiders, not really welcome, didn't know too many people, and she was, we were both fidgety, so I'm fidgety, she's fidgety, rocking back and forth, rubbing her hands, looking, and then, you know, they start to announce all the names, and she kind of gets anxious and gets ready, and then the principal announces 
one young man who walked across the stage, and then as soon as he announced her name, she goes, oh, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I kind of looked and, and smiled, and I said, he did it. Like, you did it. Congratulations, you did it. And she's, oh, no, he did it. It was all, yeah, he did it. And she, he made it. And we probably have no idea what that mother had sacrificed to get that boy on that stage. And I bet he has no idea. He might have some inkling, and maybe when he gets older, you know, he's 35 or 40, he'll start to dawn on him. But could you imagine what it would be like that night if he wanted to go out with his friends and go partying, and then mom said, no, 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 you're not going out with so-and-so. I don't like you hanging out. He's a bad influence. You're not going. And then he just blew up at her and said, who do you think you are to tell me I can't go? What have you ever done for me? I'm going, and there's nothing you can do about it. Like, what would you say to that child? How would she respond if in that moment he just, you know, exploded with all of this vile and all of this? Who do you think you are? What have you ever done for me? I mean, she might. might, I brought you into this world. (laughs) And at that moment, she would be angry. And she would have every right to be angry. But then now she's in this dilemma because she, she, you know, like this ungrateful, seething, angry child, she has to find a way to surgically strike and kill the anger without killing the kid. Like, is there any way to kill the character traits, the sinful traits without harming the child? And the beauty of the cross is that when we look for away from ourselves, we look to the cross, what we actually see is on the cross is God's surgical operation, his surgical strike, where he can strike sin without destroying the sinners. He can destroy sin without destroying us. Because we look, and as, as offensive as that would be for that mom, it's nothing compared to what we do to our heavenly father. When he looks down on us and he looks at us and sees all of the selfishness, all of the greed, all of the bitterness that is destroying us. And what is he going to do? Because he needs to destroy that without destroying us. So how can he do it? And it's on the cross that Jesus bore the full weight of the anger of God for us. So that in faith and repentance, we can experience the full weight of God's pleasure over us. He bore the anger so we wouldn't have to. On the cross, he destroys the things that are going to destroy us. And then you look and you think, all right, how did Jesus respond? How did he respond to his own enemies who scoffed and mocked and beat and struck him? He came to his own and his own turned their back and rejected and said, who do you think you are? And then what did he do? He said, Father forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then what did he do? Even his friends, those were his enemies. And then think about his friends, the friends who at the cross, who slept and couldn't stay awake, the friends who fled, the friends who denied. What did he do? He forgave them. And in his grace and in his mercy, he gives us the courage to confess our own anger. And then he gives us the power to transform it. And so we then can become people who are long-suffering, 
who really experience and express true patience. We can become the kind of people who aren't easily offended, who don't have tempers on a hair trigger, who aren't always blowing up at the slightest offenses. We can become strong and stable because there's no way we'll ever be more patient with someone else than we know he's been patient with us. And so who knows, maybe we can have a collective job as songwriters and go back and rewrite some of these songs, maybe change the Carrie Underwoods to they dug their spear into his side as on the cross our Savior died or maybe a different type of war protest, it wasn't me it wasn't me and I'm a king's son, it wasn't me he died in my place or maybe we can rewrite it and say I've tried so hard And got so far, but in the end, his grace is all that matters. In the fall, we lost it all. But in the end, his grace is all that really matters. And we are swimming in this world in a cesspool of anger. But the gospel invitation is come out and enter into the sea of his mercy. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you for your grace and your mercy. And Father, we confess how easily angered we can be. We confess that we get angry when our wills are crossed. We get angry when uh, people we dislike prosper. We get angry when we feel snubbed or um, discredited. Lord, we confess that often we'll Our anger can be pent up into our heart. It can be so destructive. But help us. Pray for anyone who's come in here this morning and they know there's bitterness that's eating them away. Help them to be free. Give them the courage to confess and the grace to repent so they can be free. Don't let that eat them away. I pray that you would help us to know what we really should. There are things in this world that really should make us angry and help us to have the eyes to see and the wisdom to know the type of things that break your heart not just the things that cross our will. And we praise you because we proclaim, as we heard earlier this morning, who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity, passing over transgressions. You will not retain your anger forever, but you delight in steadfast love, and you shower your mercy upon us. So we ask that you would help us be the kind of people who swim in a sea of mercy, and that we spread that everywhere we go. And this we ask in Christ's holy name. Amen. See, every week here at Trinity, we come to the Lord's table. And this is the table of the Lord. And it's a physical, tangible representation of the great reversal. And so on the cross, um, or here we celebrate how Jesus can flip the anger upside down and turn it to joy. So on the cross, he took the bitter cup of God's anger. So here at the table, we can receive the cup of joy. So here at Trinity, we have four stations. The one in the back corner is gluten-free. If you have an allergy, you can go there. Practice the intention methods when you take the wafer and dip. And let this be a tangible reminder of his good pleasure that is now yours. Once our servers are in place, you come.